welcome to the latest ClearBridge podcast. This is Jeff Schulze, CFA Investment Strategist at ClearBridge Investments. ClearBridge is a global equity manager with $177 billion in assets under management, committed to delivering long-term results through authentic active management. We integrate ESG considerations into our fundamental research process across all strategies. Unless you live in that 25% of the country that missed the winter storm of last week, you have no doubt endured snow and freezing temperatures. Perhaps the most unfortunate have been our listeners in Texas, where the power grid suffered extended blackouts as the Lone Star State grappled with the coldest February in years. We've heard a lot of reasons for the electricity failures, and I can't think of two better experts to lend perspective to the situation than our guests for today's show. Joining us for the first time and our maiden guests from the ClearBridge infrastructure team based in Sydney, Australia, is Shane Hurst, Portfolio Manager for the Global Infrastructure Income and Global Infrastructure Value Strategies. Shane, I'm guessing you guys have skirted the snow and ice that we're dealing with here in Northeast the US? (laughs) Absolutely, Jeff. Luckily, we are in sunny Sydney, Australia here. You're making me jealous. You're making me jealous. (laughs) And I'm also excited to welcome back Tatiana Eads, our senior utilities analyst who last joined us in 2019 to discuss ESG issues in relation to utilities and renewable power generation. Prior to the latest power grid issues, utilities had really been flying under the radar as a defensive income-oriented sector in an equity market dominated by momentum and now cyclical names. We'll discuss the ESG opportunities and challenges facing utilities and potential headwinds for utility infrastructure spending in today's podcast, Fire and Nice, Utilities Target Climate Change. So Shane, Tatiana, thank you so much for joining me in the booth here. Hey, Jeff. Thank you for having us. And uh, Shane, you're our first official international guest to the virtual podcast (laughs) booth. So welcome. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. But here back in the United States, we've been talking a lot about severe weather, Uh, obviously with the cold temperatures in Texas and last summer in California with the fires. And it's really put utilities in the headlines. And it it really does seem like we're talking about these 100-year events happening on an annual basis. So Tatiana, can you maybe begin by describing what's happening over in Texas? Is this climate change related? And, And really, how are utilities involved? Thanks, Jeff. Both situations, what happened in California last summer and what Texas is still recovering from, show that climate change is not an abstract notion, but rather something that we will continue dealing with going forward. The recent situation in Texas was, in my view, a confluence of extreme weather events and the failure of the local power market construct. The extreme weather temperatures impacted many aspects of the energy and power complex in Texas and in a few other states. So on the power side, we witnessed failure to produce power across all technology sources. Natural gas was in short supply, so some combined cycle plants could not run. Similarly, the coal plants had supply issues with frozen coal piles on the ground. We saw a technical issue at the nuclear plant that took it offline during the critical supply constraint period. And on the renewable side, sun fuel generation performance was impacted by snow cover and the wind turbines across the state shut down due to frigid temperatures. So the system was not prepared for the extreme weather conditions. And as a result, there were massive blackouts throughout the state. Power prices touched the allowable caps multiple times and the natural gas prices increased multiple times as well. 
The situation highlighted some shortcomings of the Texas or ERCOT power grid, similarly to what the polar vortex exposed about the New England and the PJM power markets in 2014. One, there is a need for better winterization of equipment. While ERCOT recommends that power company make those improvements, it does not currently have the legal authority to require generators to winterize. So a potential implication in Texas would be to have a separate policy that mandates winterization and that establishes an independent verification process for that. Another takeaway is that diversification of the grid is very important and focusing on one single technology at the expense of others can be a dangerous policy. California also highlighted last summer when the renewable dependent grid failed and it was the same point, focusing on renewables that contribute 20% to California's grid was too dangerous. Finally, one more lesson from the Texas situation is that more extreme weather conditions highlight the necessity for sizable storage capacity on the grid and also the importance of energy efficiency and demand-side management as well. Yeah, it seems like you had issues with almost every possible power generation source in, in Texas here recently. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Now, now Shane, internationally, what type of severe weather or climate change factors do you consider when you, you think about utilities? I know in Australia last year, you had some severe weather. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for that question. Um, just, just one point to add to what Tatiana was talking about with Texas. I guess if you look at um, what the peak winter demand was expected to be, it was expected to be about 58 gigawatts versus the total available resource of 83 gigawatts. So seemingly there was adequate capacity, but just as, as Tatiana said, really it was a policy failure in the case of the Texas legislature not to really have mandated winterization. To your point and to your question, Jeff, um, international climate change and really the impact to international utilities in, in other countries is not that different to what we've, we've seen in the, in the US. If you look at the UK national grid, probably the largest utility in the country in 2016 had an extremely hot summer that led to a triggering of the warning systems and blackouts all through the UK. Last year, very unusual weather in the UK certainly caused very extreme margins. And as a result of that, again, there were supply issues in the UK. Uh, to your point earlier on Sydney, Australia, and really the, uh, the Australian power market, we have seen extreme wildfires or bushfires, as we call them. Uh, we've seen very extreme temperatures and, and certainly uh, storms. And what that's led to is, is, again, failures on the part of the grids, both in Sydney and, and around the rest of the country. And, and as a result of that, obviously, a uh, number of blackouts. So there's no doubt severe weather and climate change continues to wreak havoc on networks around the world. And that's really why it is so paramount for that continual investment to strengthen and harden networks, for that increased weather volatility we are likely to see with, with climate change going forward. And speaking about continued investment, one of the things that people have been talking about really over the last three months is the new Biden administration and the Democratic sweep that happened here in the U.S. And there's a question on how supportive of is, is it going to be of utilities? Now, with the Biden administration, they're going to have the ability to pass two reconciliation bills over the course of 2021. 
They're talking about the $1.9 trillion package here that's likely going to pass in the next couple of weeks. But given the fact that the U.S.'s fiscal year ends on September 30th in the fourth quarter, they're going to have the ability to pass another large fiscal stimulus bill, which has been whispered at, you know, the, at least initially being $4 trillion. And a big component of that is going to be an infrastructure spending bill. I know we've been talking about an infrastructure upgrade and spending bill over the last four years, but it does seem like it may actually come to fruition. So, Tatiana, maybe you know, talk a little bit about what the expectations are for the infrastructure bill, maybe the size of it or the likelihood of it moving forward. And then also, what type of utilities are, are going to benefit from this money that's going to be earmarked for utility and the infrastructure upgrade? That's a great question, Jeff. So the new administration's goal is a net zero power grid by 2035 and a decarbonized economy by 2050. The broader green stimulus legislation that will be taken up by Congress later this year is looking to fund between 300 and 500 billion across various initiatives. And the money will be used to fund anything from electric vehicles and related infrastructure to traditional utilities, to a host of green workforce credits, to energy efficiency grants, transportation modernization, and even water infrastructure upgrades and green energy research. So a wide range of technologies and sectors covered. Shane, any thoughts on the, the new administration and you know what the potential implications are going to be for the infrastructure and utility space? No doubt utilities are at the forefront of decarbonization globally, and it's, it's no different in the in the US. So really what what we started to see out of the administration are very much, you know, extension of tax credits, longer term solar and wind, also covering now offshore wind and storage. And that really incentivizes utilities to increase their their low carbon generation, i.e. their renewables exposures. And there will be continued increased regulation of fossil fuel plants through various uh, bodies in the US. By the Biden administration jumping on and signing the Paris Accord, obviously that sends a very clear signal with targets like net zero emissions from the power sector by 2035. I guess the final point to make is, is you know, there continues to be a move away from natural gas or thoughts of a move away from natural gas towards uh, hydrogen. It's probably not a this decade thing. We're probably thinking kind of 2030 plus as we head towards that 2050 mark. But certainly a number of utilities in the US are, are running pilot programs to see how they can use hydrogen and in particular green hydrogen in their uh, production of electricity going forward in order to just make their grids far more green. Now, Shane, you, you know, you're talking about renewables, and obviously a lot of the infrastructure spending is going to have some green initiatives al- along with it. And you're talking about this big push among utilities for renewable sources of energy. Tatiana, let me ask you, how much can they help in the effort to lower global carbon emissions? Can it make a substantial dent in the amount of carbon emissions that you're going to see from the U.S.? Yes, definitely. And as Shane mentioned, just a big driver for the renewable build-out have been the states that currently have very aggressive renewable portfolio standards and that a growing number of utilities, large commercial and industrial customers are also willing to sign renewable-focused long-term power purchase agreements with their utility suppliers. So that helps. 
And as you said, more utilities are in the middle of a major asset replacement cycle that's driven by coal asset retirements and then their replacement with renewable generation sources. The bottom-up projections outlining planned capacity retirements shows that coal will continue to lose its market share over the next several years. Also, if we look at the utility's current spending plans and their stated goals of reducing carbon emissions by 2030, the emissions are expected to decline by roughly 30% between 2019 and 2030. And those plans are likely to be accelerated. And then one last point I want to make, Jeff, is that adding a sizable renewable generation component onto the grid creates certain operational complications. As we've seen in California and Texas, there is added intermittency of renewable resources that destabilizes the grid. So grid operators, the local regulators, and the companies themselves will have to figure out the optimal model for the grid of the future. I would expect an increased focus on diversity of generation sources, more built-in flexibility of the grid coming from expansion in battery and storage, a bigger focus on demand-side management, energy efficiency, and transmission grid reconfiguration. Now, Shane, I want to I turn it over to you to talk a little bit uh, about Europe. They've been focused on reducing their carbon emissions for quite some time. Are utilities further ahead in the region in building resilient renewable grids than the U.S.? Yeah, Jeff, um, that's a good good question. It's probably worth just putting a little bit of global context on some of the discussion points. If you look at the amount of spend on new new capacity, as, as Tatiana was talking about, $15 trillion needs to be spent in the next 30 years globally. And $6 trillion of that will come from wind, about $4 trillion from solar PV. So that's that's a huge amount of spend. The interesting thing when you break down that $15 trillion, though, is you know a lot of that spend will come from countries like China, which is $3.3 trillion, uh, Asia-Pacific region, $1.9 trillion, and India, $1.7 trillion. So th- that, that kind of poses a question with North America and Europe only really contributing $4 trillion. You are likely to see you know, a number of these uh, sorry, the push towards decarbonisation to be far more dependent on more of these emerging uh, economies, uh, which is, I think, a little bit different than most people think about the move towards decarbonisation. And that's certainly been assisted by the cost of solar falling 80%, wind falling kind of 40, 40-odd percent in the case of onshore, and utilisation picking up quite substantially in the in wind farms as well as uh, better technology coming through in the case of solar plants. In terms of Europe, very interesting question. Are they further further ahead? Certainly they are further ahead with their with their thinking. If you look at kind of some stats, three trillion dollars will be spent on grid hardening, transmission, distribution and energy efficiency over the next three decades. They put out what's called a green deal plan and and that really is 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 to stimulate the european economies towards that net zero type target of 2050 that's likely to be 10 trillion dollars worth of investment and if you look globally again just kind of zooming out for a, for a sec net zero policies globally imply 40 trillion dollars of clean spending out of 2050 43% or 17 trillion of that globally will go into networks. 
So the majority of, of, of that will be, uh, will be actually going into utilities globally. That spend will be undertaken by utilities globally. That'll be wrapped up in their regulated asset base and they'll earn a regulated return. So uh, pretty good place to be over, over the next 30 years. Now, Shane, you said $40 trillion spent by 19, yeah. 2050? Yeah, plenty of capital to be spent. That's a lot of money. And uh, it brings me to, obviously, the question that everybody has on their mind right now is an inflation, right? Uh, obviously, $40 trillion being spent over the next three decades uh, to be able to upgrade the infrastructure in the U.S. Here recently, we're going to be passing a $1.9 trillion package probably over the next couple of weeks. $5.3 trillion worth of stimulus has been approved assuming that package goes through over the course of the last 12 months, which is around 25% of GDP in the U.S. You look globally, it's over $20 trillion. And you know there really is a concern for the first time in a long time that inflation could materialize with the change in Fed policy. So, so Shane, I know you've done some work on the potential for inflation today. Is it a risk for utilities? Is it an opportunity? And then also, if you, know, you do have, happen to have some inflation, what regions do you like globally? Yeah, look, it is a risk and it is an opportunity, frankly. Um, if you look at the way infrastructure and utilities work globally, structurally, they do pass through inflation. So if you are a toll road, if you're an airport, if you're a rail company or if you're a, a port, you do have a mechanism in place to pass through inflation, through higher tolls, through higher fares, etc. If you're a regulated utility, there'll either be a direct or an indirect pass-through of that higher inflation. Direct pass-through is obviously through adjustments of your weighted average cost of capital. Indirect can be uh, in increasing operating costs that then essentially get reviewed at a rate case and passed through. So when we think about our portfolios, they, they really have 90 plus percent indirect or direct pass-through of inflation. So in practice though, rising inflation, as you would know, Jeff, can be good or it can be bad. If it's good inflation, that's obviously accompanied by rising growth, which is positive for economies, financial markets, utilities, and infrastructure companies. You know, it contributes to greater traffic on roads, greater, greater amounts of people flying through the air, uh, and so greater traffic through airports, greater spend in the case of utilities, and really just, just far better activity for the economy in general. If you look at the correlation of listed infrastructure sectors around the world, and we've done this over the last 30 years, and you look at that, the correlation of those infrastructure sectors to inflation, what we've found is there's no real meaningful correlation at all. So in, so in fact, when you look at the, the numbers, I'm just pulling out a broad general number here, the, the correlation range sits anywhere from negative 0.2 to positive 0.3. So you know, nothing meaningful in terms of a correlation. Obviously, the, the, the higher correlation, that kind of 0.3 is... More, more akin to your infrastructure, your roads, your airports, which will obviously benefit from the recovery and the higher inflation we're coming through now. And the negative is more related to the, the utilities, which have, have a very small, but from our perspective, very much a, a meaningless headwind on a long-term valuation basis. Now, Tatiana, let's talk a little bit about the US. If we do happen to see an inflation pick up, are there some parts of U.S. utilities that are better positioned than others to, to kind of weather the storm? Um, sure, Jeff. So just one point I wanted to make before I jump to that. I believe that inflationary pressures will be less pronounced going forward, 
regardless whether utilities are viewed as you know inflationary trade or not. And several drivers to that going forward. Number one, the asset replacement cycle that we just discussed is deflationary for both utilities' fuel costs and O&M costs. As the cost of renewables continue to decline, it helps utilities' customer bills. Also, the emergence of U.S. gas shale probably means that structurally, gas prices will remain lower going forward, which means it will translate into lower fuel costs on the utility bills as well. The second point is that utilities as a group are doing fewer mega-sized projects today, which means the risk of cost overruns and customer bill inflation is also lower. And the final point is that despite this very robust infrastructure build-out plans by the group that we talked about before, the inflation in customer bills remains a big focus for the companies. So all utilities, all target inflation rate under or below or CPI at most because they realize that high inflation creates additional regulatory risk and nobody wants that. So I think that the whole sector will benefit from you know, lower inflation going forward. So I think that all companies kind of will benefit from that. But I feel that it always makes sense to focus on good operators to start with. And one name that jumps to mind is Nextera Energy. It's already the lowest cost operator a very good safety standard, um, a very good um, response to hurricanes and unusual climate events type of track record in the sector and one of the build, biggest renewable developers in the U.S. So all positive trends for Nextera Energy. Jeff, one thing um, just to point out on that too, um, and I totally agree on Nextera Energy, was, you know, the way we think about the US utility sector at the moment uh, from a global per- perspective is if we can find those US utilities that have idiosyncratic drivers, you know, things that, that just won't rise and fall with, with markets, um, then they're the ones we target and they're the ones we put in our portfolios. Some, some examples in, include PCEG or Exelon, you know, Two names that are actually going through a simplification or, st- or structural change, which should re- result in much cleaner businesses, much more aligned and targeted businesses to what shareholders ultimately want. So that's how we think about the sector. Are uh, very, very similar to the way um, Tatiana does too. Well, great. Well, great. And I think we're running up on time here, but I, I just want to like to ask both of you for a quick closing thought or, or maybe a key takeaway on why investors should consider utilities for their portfolios or infrastructure, I should say. Shane, did you want to kick it off first? Sure. Thanks, Jeff. Look, I think in the context of global utilities, which was the discussion we were having here, obviously there is a significant tailwind, whether it's the thematics of decarbonisation, the replacement cycle, energy efficiencies. Uh, What we've clearly seen is that utility rate-based growth is going to be very solid going forward, and it's not importantly tied to business cycles. Returns will continue to incentivize equity and debt investors and really differentiate the good from the bad performers. And if you look at areas like the UK, you really have that incentive regulation working quite, quite aggressively there. ESG sustainability, often you know people are, are quite cautious about the, the implementation of that. 
You know, certainly from our from our perspective, when we look globally, most utilities have been at the fore, the forefront of stakeholder capitalism. Certainly, they they have been incorporating ESG and sustainability into their processes, and and so as a result of that, the disclosures have been the forefront of really what's out there. So, you know, another positive. I think finally, if you look at global utilities. Similar to the US, they are going through this simplification phase. So they're selling their merchant generation, they're selling their commodity-sensitive parts of their businesses, and they're concentrating on their core businesses, those regulated utilities that deliver those, those very stable, growing cash flows, and that's absolutely crucial. So I think that is a step change we are seeing. We've, we've seen it over the last two, three years. I think we'll continue to see that going forward. And so I think, honestly, the future is very bright for global utilities, which at the moment generally look pretty attractively priced. Tatiana, any closing thoughts? Sure, sure. I generally agree with Shane on um, his stance on the utility space overall. But I think that despite the recent underperformance and a pretty bad last year, I think the U.S. utilities remain an interesting group to own here. The fundamentals of the sector are quite robust, and I think the current spending cycle looks sustainable, driven by all the renewable policies that we discussed. I see strong support for high single-digit earnings growth over the next several years, and the current high 3% dividend yield looks maintainable and attractive in the current environment. The risk profile of the companies looks so much better going forward as they just divest all the riskier businesses, as Shane mentioned the inflation could be a negative for the sector, at least in terms of perception. But I think that the inflationary risks will be quite manageable near to medium term. And finally, the group is inexpensive relative to the market. It's trading at the 7% discount if I look at next year's earnings multiples. Importantly, the absolute and relative valuation of the group versus interest rates suggests that the group is already discounting higher interest rates. So what not to like? (laughs) Just throw my two cents out there. I mean, you obviously have a lot of money likely flowing into the space because of the next Biden stimulus package, 40 trillion, as Shane, you had mentioned, coming into the space by 2050. And if you you think about infrastructure and utilities, I I think they're going to be a very important part of any portfolio that's really looking for growth of income because global central banks they're practicing financial repression. They're going to keep long rates artificially low. And that means more and more investors, in my opinion, are going to be looking towards this asset class for their income needs. And I ran uh, this as of yesterday uh, at the S&P 500, even with the rise of rates that we've seen, 54% of the S&P 500 yields higher than a 10-year treasury, 36% of the S&P 500 yields higher than a 30-year treasury. And of course, mm-hmm. Utilities and infrastructures companies are, are some of the highest yielders in any equity benchmark that you can see globally. So it doesn't look like central banks are reversing course anytime soon. So I, I really think it's a, a good opportunity longer term for the asset class. So Tatiana, Shane, I just want to thank you so much for, for joining me here in the virtual booth and for sharing your expertise on infrastructure. I know I certainly learned a lot from this conversation. So thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. And I want to thank all the listeners for joining us on our journey today, discussing the opportunities in the infrastructure and utility space for the coming years. And we hope that you'll continue to join us throughout 2021. And as always, we welcome any questions, comments, and suggestions, which you can email us at podcast at clearbridge.com. Take care.
Please note the following. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions and views expressed in today's podcast are of the individual speakers as of February 24th, 2021, and may differ from other managers or the firm as a whole, and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Any statistics referenced have been attained from sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy and completeness of this information cannot be guaranteed. Neither Clearbridge Investments nor its information providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information.